Hey, welcome to Conversations with my dear friend, Jeff Conway. My name is Susan. This is A Different Kind of Walk. Hello. Hello. You ready? Mm-hmm. Okay. So it's good to be back and... Uh, we want to take some time uh, to share with you as, as you've read and you've heard, we were going to focus on the issue of death. And uh, that's just something that I think about a lot. And even as Susan and I were discussing that, her father was just in the early process of being diagnosed. And now she's gone through his death and memorial service and she's back home and I love her and we love her and we want to embrace her and her family in prayers, but uh, didn't want to skip over the personal experience in the midst of discussing this topic that's so important. So Susan, I love you. Uh, you know, I've been praying for you. So uh, tell us a little bit about the last few months. Okay. I will do that. Uh, I have to admit, though, as you were doing the intro, I wanted to start laughing because I'm recording in a little nook that I normally don't record in. And um, I'm sitting right next to my kid's wall of hamsters. And one of the hamsters was drinking water the entire time you were talking. And it was like, ding, 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 ding. And I was like, I wonder if everyone can hear that. That would have been completely inappropriate to laugh at me in the midst of me pastorally, lovingly (laughs) reaching out to you. I know. Ridiculous hamster. (laughs) so you know we are going to speak about death and our boys had a hamster and it kept getting out of its cage and we kept finding it so the boys named it lucky Um, and one night uh the dog was in the crate the dog that we had at the time and he was going nutty at like three in the morning and i thought okay he needs to go outside so i opened the the door to his crate and he ran over to the corner. Then he ran to the door and I let him outside to go out to the backyard. And I saw him kind of looking like he was chomping was like, what is <laughs> oh, no. well, lucky wasn't lucky anymore. Lucky. Boo. <laughs> oh. Yeah. So oh, be careful with your hamsters. I know. Well, you don't need to go through that after all that you've been through. No. Well, we have a lot. We have like seven. And yeah, we have seven hamsters. And they all are in like separate cages because we don't have, want them to have babies. Yeah. So, yeah. Because um, then we'll have 85 and that would be horrible. And <laughs> oh, um, you start a business. I know. I. I'm not going to lie. I've thought about it. <laughs> like, I know how to make websites. I can advertise. <laughs> That's great. Just don't name any of them lucky. I won't. <laughs> That's just horrible. Yeah, I know. I felt so bad. 
So deep breath. You talked about that. <laughs> hear about your last few months and what's going on and how everyone's doing. I think everyone's doing okay. I actually had a friend come over, a mentor friend. A long time ago, she had lost her dad. Like me, her family lives far away. And so we just kind of commiserated over the experience of grieving from afar. Mm. And like, it's not like I saw my dad every day in my normal life um, because they live in Nebraska and I'm out here. So it's like my life isn't all that different from day to day. And then every time I go home, it's going to be like, oh, he's not here. Mm. And then kind of a, a fresh wave of grief hits every time. So that's different. Um, my friend, Shauna, she she was like, oh, yeah, my, you know, my mom went through it quickly. And my siblings who were there went through it quickly. And it's more intense, but then you get used to it or it's it's kind of finished. But then I would go home and I'd like start I'm crying at the dinner table and everyone's like, what is wrong with you? <laughs> Uh, so I'm like, yeah, that's going to be me. That, that'll be me. Um, I'll go home and I will walk around the land and go be by myself and weep, I'm sure. Well, tell us about your dad, just in general. This man you got to know, especially writing letters in college. But tell us a bit about him, if that's okay. Yeah. He was born in rural Nebraska to farmer parents. He's the youngest of six, four brothers and one sister. He was quite a bit younger, too. My dad always had a kind of smirk on his face, and he had a really good sense of humor and always reading the newspaper, always doing research, always you know, if he had to make a decision, he was less interested in the decision and more interested in figuring out all the options. <laughs> uh, okay. um, so just collecting stuff. He was always curious. Whenever he would come out here, he would just take long walks and stop people on the street and start chatting and just ask them everything. Like ask them about their life. He just wanted to know everything about them. And even though he was a tall and broad human being, like he was very non-threatening and was able to ask questions that it's like, like, you probably shouldn't be asking that. But with such an innocence that people never seemed to get offended and they would answer his questions and, um, People don't chat to other people that they don't know typically on the East Coast that much. So that's amazing that he was mm -hmm. able to do that. Mm -hmm. And one of probably the best thing that I learned from him, he just said that he tries to hold off judgment of people as long as possible. Mm. Um, like, like he holds off making up his mind about like whether this person's like a good person or not so good person or whatever, as long as possible. Right. And, um, 
And I feel like that showed that it really showed. And he, um, so he was just able to talk to just about anybody. And he was always incredibly humble about his own life and his own situation and was always willing to share his own failures and the things that he, he learned. And he's just a good guy. And a hard worker. He was a mechanic, really enjoyed working with his hands. He enjoyed, he called himself a tinkerer, liked to tinker around and figure out how things worked. I actually have a great picture of him like a month before he died out in his shop welding. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. Um, and you got to know him really well through those letters that you wrote back and forth to each other in college, mm-hmm. which up a new and deeper relationship for the two of you yeah I asked him I've always been kind of fuzzy on the timeline of like when he graduated from high school went into the army got married to my mom like things didn't I was always fuzzy on that so that was one of the first letters that we wrote back and forth just I was like so like what happened like what was the what was the timeline here um And so that began our talking about his time in the service. And those, those are some of my favorite stories. I loved hearing him talk about that stuff. And that being said, like, I didn't realize until I was writing the obituary that he was like, he was a sergeant in the army and actually had people under his command and things like that. Um, Did he serve somewhere? Yeah, he served in Germany. So he went to college for one year and then they were getting ready to do the draft for Vietnam. And he was like, okay, well, if I volunteer, he he had heard that you would get this paper. That's like a wish list of places that you would like to serve. And so he filled out his wish list and on the top of there was Germany. And for the most part, he was a driver. He drove a Jeep. Um, he was a driver over there for the higher ranking officers. And, um, and there was one particular officer who I'm going to botch the story because I don't remember everything about it, but so he drove for this one officer for quite a while. And then he, I think moved up or something. And so my dad was going to get this new person to drive for, and this, this guy was very like grumpy and critical. And so at one point the guy told my dad that like, go out and clean that Jeep. I want to make sure it's, you know, it's completely clean and whatever. So my dad went out and cleaned it and then that, and it was really hard to do. So then he was late or something to get there. Um, And so the officer criticized him for like, we're going to be late, blah, 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 which apparently just made my dad really mad, (laughs) just like annoyed my dad because he was like, I did what I was supposed to do. Um, And so apparently my dad just gunned it the entire way back to wherever it was that they were supposed to be and just like drove super. He didn't say anything to the officer. He didn't say anything to the officer. He just drove very, very fast (laughs) to get to where they were supposed to go. And the officer didn't say anything. He just like reached his hand up and like held on to the the top of the Jeep 
um, so that he wouldn't like get tossed around. So my dad like hauls to the place and he like, you know, he like skids to a halt and is like, well, there you go, officer. I got you there on time. And the officer like doesn't say anything. And then the next day, my dad was supposed to report to duty, but coincidentally, he actually felt felt really sick. Um, and so he he had to call in the replacement to go in and drive this officer. And um, so the officer shows up and sees the replacement guy. And he's the officer is like, where's Holman? And the replacement is like, he felt sick today, sir. Um, I'm, I'm glad to drive you. And the officer is just like, you go, like, you go back to your barracks. Holman's my driver. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> and uh, uh, so then, yeah, my dad just drove for him for a really long time. And um, I don't know all the stories of how they got close, but they, my dad really respected this guy and really looked up to this guy. And the officer had married a German lady and they lived there. And one day when my dad, they drove somewhere and the officer got out and he just clutched his chest and had a heart attack. Oh gosh. Yeah. And so my dad was there, like, you know, like my dad caught him and, the man died. And since my dad was the one there, he had to go and tell the man's wife. Right. Um, and he was like, yeah, that's, that's one of the hardest things I've ever done. Um, mm. And a few years ago, my dad came out to visit us and he really wanted to go to Arlington cemetery. And so we took him to Arlington and he found the grave of that officer. Uh-huh. And, um he just stood there and like saluted the grave um and honored that man and it it was really meaningful to me um yes yeah so i don't know there are so many other stories when was he first diagnosed because it wasn't that long ago it was in February. Yeah. Um, and the doctor said that with treatment, he would probably last six months to two years. And it was right around six months. Yeah. Um, you know, six months to two years is quite a bit of difference. Um, but in retrospect, I like, I can't believe how accurate they were. It's right. crazy. Yeah. Um, I wrote a piece that I didn't, share i shared it with you jeff just about my dad's hands Mm. and how you know like my dad was a very strong person my dad worked with his hands his hands were very rough and calloused and uh cracked and oil stained and very tan because he was always working outside and a month ago, I had the honor of trimming my dad's fingernails because he couldn't really do it anymore and didn't have the energy to do it anymore. And so I trimmed my dad's fingernails with with the delicacy of, you know, trimming an infant's fingernails. Like I was so afraid I was going to 
cut too deep and make him bleed. But like at that point, my dad's hands were thin and pale and soft. Mm. They honestly reminded me of like his mother's hands. Mm. Um, and, and, you know, it was, it was beautiful, I guess. I, I, really feel honored to have seen that transition it was a really hard transition to watch but I feel honored to I guess to to witness that um because you got out there a number of times not a lot but a number of times yeah I went out there like three or four times in the the six months him as that mechanic and tink er, 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 er. <laughs> um, and the hands uh, when you sent that to me and maybe you'll want to share that on the site, but yeah, it, it, it's interesting in the midst of death that you're talking about beauty. Why do you think you use that word beauty when you were talking about trimming his fingernails because I know you weren't painting them with nail polish. (laughs) No, I was not. Well, some of it is just the beauty of creation in and of itself. And there's, there's a beauty to the cycle of life. You know, I've heard people say when they're in their fifties or whatever, like, I don't feel a day over 20. And so fifties is old. No, I didn't say old. I said in their 50s. Um, it makes sense to me just because for some reason, at, at the same time, I feel like I am 35 and 16 and 6. But, you know, like I feel like I'm all of those people. Right. And it's. I get the idea of like, oh, well, I'm not that person anymore. I've grown up. I've grown out of whatever I've changed. But for me, I'm still, I'm still that person. I'm still that 16 year old who experienced like her first job and the terror of that. And I'm still the, the six year old who walked in and wanted my dad to like her haircut. I'm, Mm. um, And I think there's beauty in that. And when I'm 85 or 92 or whatever, I'm still going to be 35. You know, my body's changed. My mind has changed, but I'm, I'm still that person. And so there's, there is a beauty to the aging and the, how your, your body changes and how you collect experiences and knowledge and wisdom. And so while watching my dad decline was sad and it was strange because we were so used to him being very strong. It was also very natural Mm -hmm. and, and yeah, I, I do feel like his body just started to match his, like his sweetness Mm -hmm. um, in in its frailty, in its, um, as it got smaller, um, and as it needed more tender care. Right. Yeah. I, I felt like it just kind of matched him 
Um, yeah. For the tender heart that he was in the midst of being tall and wide and mm-hmm. right. Yeah. So, yeah. So you were out there with the family for a week or so uh, in August. Yeah, I came out. I went out with the kids for like two weeks, essentially. Okay. And um, and then Gary met us out there and then we drove to visit his family. Um, and then we were just home for like a week or so. And then my dad passed. So it was fast in that regard. Yeah, but. it was very fast. All of it to me was very fast in, in our conversation. So Augie and Rosie, did they entertain him or was he just too tired to, um, to be by their energy and my kids aren't too crazy. They don't have an insane amount of energy. Um, Rosie's a snuggler and Augie would prefer to like sit and play chess. Um, so they, as much as they could, Augie would play games with my dad, but also my uncles came over like every day for the last three months. Mm. Um, my dad's brothers all look the same. Like it's, if, if you're a newcomer to my family, you walk in and you're like, wait, who is who? Like they <laughs> all, they all look alike. And I haven't seen my aunt Sharon in years. And I saw her while I was there and she walked in and I was like, oh, it's just them in female form. <laughs> like they all look alike. Um, so, but Augie can tell them apart because he's spent all this time with them and, yeah. and they're like in their eighties. You know, like Uh they, they're 10 years, essentially 10 years older than my dad. And they're the age that their parents were when they died. So Mm -hmm. I know that we don't have a ton of time with them left, but yeah, Augie got closer to my uncle Donnie and uncle Ruben. And he always, he got them in on a ton of games. They just, we just played games, uh, board games and card games for hours every night that we were there. And we got my mom in on it. And the last time I was there, we did get my dad in. He felt good enough to come out to the kitchen and play a round of, we call it Jokers. Um, It's a board game and a card game. But I think even though my dad didn't have the energy to play all the time, I don't know. I think he just enjoyed the fact that there was life around and there was joy around. And it was... It was sweet. Oh, good. Good. Why are you disquieted within? Oh, my soul. Oh, my soul. Put your trust in God. I will yet give thanks to Him. Put your trust in So, yeah, so we got the message on Sunday that his pain was really, really bad and they'd moved a hospital bed in and um, they were going to see how it went after that. And then the next day, my mom said that the nurses said that he probably only has like 48 hours left. So if if anyone really wants to be here, um, they should potentially head their way there. Change and decay in 
Um, so what I did was record myself singing a bunch of songs and I sent it to my mom and she played it for my dad. Uh... And apparently at this point he was non-responsive in general, like just, just wasn't responding to anything, but my mom played the music and he opened his eyes and smiled. Mm. And and he was gone that night. When peace like a river And you're being you know, all straight and fine right now, and you brought tears to my eye with that story. That's beautiful, beautiful. Oh, I mean, um, what a gift to know that hearing your voice made him just open up for a minute and smile. That's pretty sweet. Oh. As you're chugging from the largest. Yep, this enormous water bottle chug of water that I've ever seen. Oh. It's, I'm really that lazy. <laughs> I'm supposed to drink a glass of water, but I don't want to get up to go refill my glass. So I just put it all in one place. <laughs> it's like a gallon. <laughs> I don't know how big it is. You don't sit in a box all day. You're moving all over the place. You've got to move through that beautiful kitchen every now and then. Right. But I, I've started writing again. And so I, I get so obsessed in it oh. that I like, will just sit there for hours and I'm like, Oh yeah, I should be drinking things. Yep. 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 So yeah, my, um, my one sister and my nephew and my mom were all there when he passed and, um, and he knew that they, I think he knew that they were there. And so my sister called me at like, two in the morning and just said, Hey, I just want to let you know he's gone. So, okay. yeah. And so then we booked a flight. Um, so service you and Gary did. So was that at their church? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Gary led the service and afterward people kept coming up to him just saying like, thank you. I'm leaving a funeral service refreshed. Mm. Um. It, it was just in the right spirit of right. my dad. And um, it felt like he was, he was speaking to us. And so that so, was really meaningful. Esther, that is a pretty powerful compliment. Not yeah. that that's what a funeral and memorial services is about, but that's, yeah, that's beautiful. So, yeah. So we're going to spend some time talking about our feelings about death specifically and you've read a few things that i've written that we haven't posted yet but Mm -hmm. right now in the rawness of your journey death is death is dot 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 dot. okay i'm gonna take a drink of water my water bottle is really loud so i'm gonna pause and do that also, we should let people know that the banging in the background of your soundtrack is uh, 
people just showed up to clean your house, right? Oh, you're hearing that. <laughs> I can hear that. <laughs> um, yeah. So fun times. To me, it's hard to talk about death without having a discussion about God. I sent a text to one of my close friends the other day that just said, I'm having a really good day. And I find myself automatically thanking God for having a good day. But then I realize that more than ever, I have been wondering whether God exists. And then I just get mad at myself for taking comfort in an imaginary relationship. And she got back and she was wonderful because she she was like, I totally get that. Um, so I definitely haven't lost my faith in any way. And lots and lots of people have told me to read uh, C.S. Lewis's A Grief Observed, which I've I've read like half of it. And what I appreciate about that book is how how open he is about that idea that inside loss and grief, you have this window and opportunity to doubt is probably the wrong word, but to wrestle and come to grips with what you believe about God and the goodness of God. Gosh, I read that Lewis book so long ago. Did he wrote that after joy died, correct? After his wife died. Yeah. And was shocked at how sharp, the grief was. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so I remember that much. So there have definitely been days or times when, you know, you go back to the, the like Nietzsche saying of religion is the opiate of the masses. Right. I've, I, that has passed through my mind several times because like that text that I sent, I have found myself taking a lot of comfort in the rhythms of faith, just in, in liturgy or in, in prayer and gratitude, in going to church and doing all that stuff. And like I've told people before that the rhythms of faith are there for when you don't believe. Of course, they're there for when you do, but they're most important when you don't. And, and I mean, that even goes back to scripture with the like, Lord, I believe help, help my unbelief, you know? Um, And so anyway, yeah, I feel weird. This is a strange season. I simultaneously am holding it in my mind, a great comfort in God and who God is and how God has always interacted with my life. Right. And also the frustration and loss and questioning of pain in the world. Um, Right. And you can hold those things together at the same time. And that's okay. It's also like my dad, I asked my dad how this was impacting his faith. And honestly, it seemed to, to do absolutely nothing you know like it he's like oh yeah my faith is the same jesus is my savior 
I'm going to go home. He, there was not an ounce of bitterness or anger at the situation at all. I'm like blown away. So I don't know. Does that make sense? It does. It was a gift of him holding your hand. And so, you know, what I want to tell you is how loved you are by God. And part of that reminder that you have received is a father that was joyously hanging on to faith and God's character and God's love. Uh, And your dad is just continuing to draw you along on that journey, even in the midst of holding difficult stuff in the other hand. You can journey with both. Yeah. So. Right now, oddly enough, I feel like what I actually need to hear more is not so much that I am loved by God because that's like, I, yeah, noted. Um, but that my dad was loved by God mm. and yet still went through the crap that he went through. Right. Um, I uh, gave the sermon on Sunday uh, and it, we we're going through the book of Ruth. And so that was essentially my whole sermon. It was just the idea that Naomi loses everything. Ruth loses everything. She's in a horrible situation. And yet God loves them. God does change their circumstances. Um, God does continue to be faithful. Um, And God would continue to be faithful, even if God didn't change their circumstances. There's a great uh, part of the liturgy of a Seder, a Passover Seder, where they say like, even if God hadn't done this, God would still be faithful. It's the, the Dayenu. Um, but in, in my sermon, I connected, you know, Naomi's experience and Ruth's experience. This is, this is another telling of the book of Job. Like Joe, this is Job's experience. This is, uh, Joseph's experience when he gets sold into slavery. And then because he's there is able to save Israel from a famine, you know, like, bad things happen and evil happens and we hurt and everything sucks, but God can redeem these situations. Um, and it doesn't mean that God loves us any less. And simultaneously, Gary and I are watching a TV show called the good place, which is very funny. And we just watched an episode where they finally get to the good place um after three seasons of not and everyone in the good place is miserable because there's no challenge um (laughs) everything's perfect all the time and and it just turns you into like happiness zombies and and (laughs) so they have to uh they come up with a fun uh resolution to that and i don't want to spoil it because it's very funny um but no my initial imagery that i think i was either taught or given of heaven was like 
a 24-hour worship service. Right. One right after the other. Yeah. I started thinking about that and going, well, I'm not sure that's what heaven is. I don't know. I mean, my husband can't sing. And so, like, I think him and I've heard other people say, like, yeah, if if all of what eternity is, is just like singing praises to God, that sounds horrible. (laughs) (laughs) So it's like, yeah, that's probably not what it is. <laughs> right. So, I mean, later on, and this gets to your father also, years ago, right now, and years from now, what I love about the Trinity is three in one, but such a beautiful depiction of relationship, perfect mm-hmm. relationship. Mm-hmm. So, um, what I've shared with a lot of people. So tell me if this messes you up or I need to keep my mouth quiet or I messed up people for 35 years, but um, (laughs) because God is in relationship with God's self Mm -hmm. and desired to be in relationship with humanity And so created humanity to be in relationship with each other. Mm -hmm. Of course, relationship is a part of eternity. Mm. Yeah. Um, And why would we be hanging out with Elisha? (laughs) Never hanging out with our dad. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Or put in whoever you want to put in there, whatever your situation is. But mm-hmm. well, that helped me get over my 24-hour worship service. <laughs> so share that with Gary and see what he thinks of my theology there. Okay, sounds good. Oh. Yeah, I think um as i was trying to fall back asleep after getting the phone call from my sister that my dad had passed the first thing that i imagined i'm definitely going to say imagined because this is this is in my head i'm not sure if this is real i'm whatever but the first thing i imagined was like my dad gets to see his parents again mm. like i've i have never heard people talk about their parents in such a loving honoring way as I hear all of like my dad and his brothers and sister talk about their parents it's astounding um just how much they loved and appreciated and respected their parents um and so yeah that was the first thing I thought of I just I I felt in as much as you my imagination could make me feel like I felt the presence of my dad and my grandparents and -hmm. their joy at being together. And I just sat there and talked to them for a little while. And I know the idea of uh, like the Orthodox idea of praying to the saints, weird evangelicals out. Um, But to me, it's always just been this idea of like, no people's souls continue 
And as such, I can talk to them. Right. I can, why, why can't, why not? Like, why wouldn't I speak with those souls that have passed on? And it, it, it works really well. in again, my imagination in, it works really well in my idea of what heaven is like, which is, have you seen the atlases that, you know, there's, there's a map of some nation and then there, there are a few pages right next to it that are clear but they have other maps on them. And so you have the original map, let's say it's in one time period, and then you flip the plastic map over on top of it. And it shows you how that same exact place has changed in 500 years or something like that. To me, I, my image of heaven, it's, it's the plastic over exactly where we are right now. So it's easy for heaven and earth to meet because we're, we're in the same place. It's just in different dimensions somehow. It's like heaven is already going on here. They're the new heavens, the new earth is already happening. It's just in some 12th dimension that I can't reach through. So in that regard, like my dad's still here. Like he's, he could be sitting next to me, giving me a hug right now. Um, but yeah. So right. again, imagination is a beautiful thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But there's a reality there. I love the quote of George McLeod about Iona, the Island monastic community that I always went to that he called it thin, not just because it was one mile by two miles, Mm -hmm. uh, but that it was thin because the space between humanity and God was thin. Yeah. I've, I mean, on the Camino on uh, seeing the Pieta for the first time, there's just a lot of different places that I have, experience that thinness mm-hmm. with God. Mm-hmm. So uh, I'm too old to talk about 12 dimensions and stuff that you were saying there, <laughs> your imagination, but um, yeah. So I would, I would state that more as that place where it is thin. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Cause when we point to the sky and say heaven, I mean, that's confusing because when we point to the sky, we know that now know mm-hmm. about planets and stars and other suns and, you know, the universe and yeah, heaven a, lot is not we, up. a lot that we don't know. So, yeah, I don't think of heaven so much as up, but just moving over to the place that we were always supposed to be. Mm -hmm. Oh, so yeah. So know that um, when people hear this, you'll have a number of people praying for you and your mom and your family Mm -hmm. and um, praying that you be reminded how loved your dad was and is and will be by God Um, uh, and that same truth for you.
and um, you know, pray that you walk with that balance of question and pain and the character of God and love on the other side. So that will be my prayer for you. And I know others listening will join in that prayer also. Thanks for joining us for A Different Kind of Walk. And thank you for holding me and my family in prayer. In the next episode, we'll be turning the table and talking with Jeff about his current personal walk with grief and death. Until next time, live well.